weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks to the two Johnnies. It's Tuesday the 28th of February and this is Game On. Coming up today, Katie Taylor's Dublin fight with Amanda Serrano is postponed. We'll get the latest. We surely will. And in racing, my old boss, Paul Nichols, will join us to talk about his Cheltenham prospects. While in soccer, we've Mark Langdon on a crisis day for French football. Plus in athletics, we've called Dennehy on more exciting times for Ireland as Rashida Adeleke rips up more record books. They will go one and two, however. Texas will take gold and silver, led by Rashida Adeleke with a time of 50.33. And that beats her own nation-leading time in the 400 meters and also is a new meet record. Pretty incredible to think last year she really was more of a 200-meter specialist. She was uh, recognized last year as the best young athlete in Ireland and has really made a mark internationally. And you see that reaction uh, when she sees what her time was. That's happiness. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. So, Marie, are we sticking with Adelecki or are we going with Adelke, as the American commentator just said? I think we'll stick with Adelecki. So do I. You said that on the RG Sports Awards. I know. When you're all and she didn't correct us, so no. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> um, but to look, I mean, we find it difficult with loads of different types of names, like when there's an Irish name or... Um, just names that we're not used to so I mean it's and we have we have great crack with French names French yeah. horse names so I wouldn't judge any commentator for getting a name wrong but it is important no no neither would I I was just wondering are we getting it wrong or are the Americans getting it right that's when you asking a question <laughs> let's go with the Americans getting it wrong and us getting it right yeah uh, don't yeah. be listening anyway so it'll be grand um, right let's get straight to the news Ruby because there is some big news breaking uh, just a little while ago it was announced that Katie Taylor's planned homecoming fight in Dublin which was expected to take place in May has now been deferred due to an injury suffered by Amanda Serrano Kevin Byrne boxing correspondent with the Irish Sun joins us now on the line. Kevin, it's a big story because we've had so much conversations, conversation about Katie Taylor and her homecoming and where it was going to be and now it looks like we don't know when it's going to be, who's going to be against or where it's going to be on. Yeah, that's a good summary of it, Marie, all right. Um, you know, Taylor's out of the ring since uh, the end of last October and she'd want to, you know, I'm sure she herself wants to get the skates on, wants to get her next date finalised. It will have been, you know, over six months since, since she'd have fought uh, and now that May 20th date does look up in the air. I thought initially when I heard that Serrano was injured, I've been expecting Serrano to cry off with an injury for weeks now, ever since the fight was announced and it looked like it wouldn't get to Crow Park. So I've just been expecting to hear any day now that Serrano would uh, post an injury. I'm not doubting the validity of it, but I, I did expect that there would would be when her last fight was quite grueling and it was only at the start of February. Um and now, yeah, that's the case. I would have expected at the time when I first heard it that a different opponent would be slotted in because let's face it, Katie Taylor could fight against a lollipop lady at the Three Arena and sell out the place in her first Irish Irish match as a as a professional. So you, you don't need to use up the Serrano fight at uh, the Three Arena. You know yourself, Marie, seeing the 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 atmosphere at the first bout, it's worthy of Crow Park. I think a fight like that. So n- not a massive shock she's pulled out, but now it looks like. Um, her promoters match him. I've been in touch with them today and just trying to get, you know, what's what's happening. Is May 20th still a date? Is Taylor still going to fight, have her Irish homecoming on that date? And, you know, they're just saying we're still working on the, uh, we're still working on it and we'll see what happens. No confirmation yet as to whether the date survives. Will the three arena go ahead against A and other? 
So I guess we just have to kind of wait for them to make their announcement, really. A couple of quick questions. A, who mm. could A another B? And B, over six months since Katie Taylor will have fought. She'll be 37 in July. Time is ticking. If she's going to have these big Irish fights, they need to be happening for her. Uh, I'll go with B first, Ruby. Um, I guess, I, I think Katie Taylor's been quite active throughout her entire career. You know, she had a lot of fights as an amateur and, and most of the world superstars get away these days with fighting twice a year. It's not ideal. It's one of the, it's one of the worst things about boxing these days. Fighters aren't active enough. But at, at Katie Taylor's years uh, and with the money she's banked and, and with every fight needing to be kind of almost an enormous event, I think it's acceptable for a year or two, but you wouldn't want to be uh, progressing your career on that. So I think Katie Taylor... The way she trains, the way she lives her life outside of the ring, it's not as if she's ballooning up in weight or, you know, gone out in the beer. She's not. Like, she's she's a, a dedicated professional and she lives the life. So I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue for her. Uh, regards to the first part of the question, who can she fight? There's a string of um, potentials. Uh, the, the, light, uh, the light welterweight champion, Chantel Cameron, has already put up her hand today saying, I'll step in. Um, she, you know, Katie Taylor's manager Brian Peters also has a stake with uh, the undisputed super featherweight champion Alicia Baumgartner who has been saying since day one in her, her career that she wants to fight Katie Taylor she's done great work to boost her own profile she could slot into the fight Baumgartner won her undisputed won her, her last her title against Michaela Meyer another US Olympian who also wants to fight like Katie Taylor's the name in boxing in women's boxing and everybody wants to fight her so they could they could kind of select somebody and slot someone in there's Estelle Mosley who she fought uh, and, and lost to at the World Championships prior to the Rio's 2016 Olympics but Taylor I think had beaten uh, the French woman three times before that Jessica McCaskill she's the undisputed welterweight champion in the professionals Taylor has a, has a win over her uh, and there's I, I'd like to see you know, there's, a, there's a left field kind of option as well Heather Hardy a, a New York uh, woman with Irish heritage went the distance with Serrano in 2019, would be a popular choice. I don't think Katie Taylor needs the toughest of tests in her Irish debut, her Irish homecoming, if she were to fight on May the 20th. Somebody that she can look good against that sells a story. And like I said, I think I think you can sell out that uh, venue at the three arena with minimal effort almost because I imagine it's going to be a popular, popular ticket. Yeah, just as long as you don't need a hotel room in Dublin that night, then you'll be grand. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, just on Serrano, so like she's been tricky to pin down and even getting to the stage where we thought it was going to be May 20th, I, I was actually relieved that she had committed to doing it because she kind of, we didn't really know what was going to happen with her. Do you think we're closer to, do you think we're as close now to a fight with her or, or does this set us back a little bit or set Katie back? Yeah, it's definitely a setback because I, there's only so many times you can make a fight with a person and it can fall through for different reasons. You know, they tried to fight during COVID times and Serrano pulled out for this reason and that reason. And then there was the whole didn't want it didn't want it to happen in Eddie Hearn's back garden. And, you know, I can understand that and felt it was, you know, worthy of a greater stage. And they did ultimately get that greater stage. Uh, at some and the fight I think that she maybe feels that she signed up for was Crow Park. And then that was unable you know, the the Taylor side of the deal weren't able to uh, to arrange that part of it. So then you could probably say to her, why would she want to go into what's essentially Taylor's hometown in a smaller venue with 9,000 passionate Irish fans all screaming for the, for the home fighter? It's not quite the stadium fight she might feel she, she signed up to. But at the same time, there's only so many times you can go to uh, fight agreements and, and sign on deals with someone who you know has a history of pulling out at this stage. So I think the way the way things looked, though, when, when Hearn uh, flew to Ireland a couple of weeks ago and had his meetings with Conor McGregor and... The Crow Park thing was falling apart at the seams. 
it did look then like the landscape was being painted that Taylor would fight a kind of random a random girl on May the 20th and then maybe Serrano at uh, Crow Park in September. I think that could still that could still take place. But just the soundings today from um, Matchroom are that they're still working on trying to get Taylor against Serrano at a later date. So where that goes, could it end up back in New York again? I don't know. Could it, Could they bring it to Vegas or could they just bring it even to England? I'm not sure. I don't think Crow Park is available all summer for obvious reasons. So Kev, do you think that the, she is going to have a homecoming against somebody and then the next one will be Serrano and it, it could be anywhere? There's not going to be two homecomings, is there? Or could there be? What, what, that's what I'd like to see. Um, it's it's difficult to know. I think I think Hearn seems to be really committed to having Taylor against Serrano, and uh, maybe that's his assessment of the Irish audience. Uh, there are those of us who disagree with him, but you know we don't really get a chance to sit down, and it's not our business. So you know, it's as journalists to tell him, you know, this is this is the way people feel or whatever. He can, he's the businessman. He's putting up his money. He can put his. Uh, he can put out his own whatever fight he wants to do. He seems to have hitched his wagon to Serrano for quite a while, and I think that's a risky tactic. And I suppose it's kind of it's kind of come like that. Um, I just I think there are definitely fights. If Taylor is a hundred percent fit, which by all accounts is, why not have her make her Irish homecoming at the Three Arena? It's booked. People are excited about it, and then try try again for Crow Park or if later in the year. Okay, would there be anywhere else in Ireland outside of Crow Park if the costs are still going to be an issue and Crow Park is booked up for the summer? Can you think of anywhere else you would have thought, yeah, that'd be some venue? There's, there's great venues all over, isn't there? Like, I mean, a lot of the boxers, you'd, 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 uh, sure, there's great GA venues all over the country. I know Porky Cueve were interested in hosting a Taylor Serrano fight. There's uh, Andy Lee was meant to fight at Holman Park all those years ago. There's there's great venues all over the country, but I th- will it, will they be able to generate the sort of money that Taylor and Serrano um, will will kind of be guaranteed? I'm not so sure. So I think for Taylor to have a, a homecoming, she could fight anywhere in the country, and she'd probably she'd pack the joint. I think at this stage, however, it's uh, the Serrano Taylor fight is you know needs a lot of money to break even. So I think that's why possibly the Crow Park thing was falling apart. Plus, I think Crow Park costs more to stage in May than it does in September. That's why it looked like the land was being cleared to go later in the year. I think there's possibility that they would have had to relay the pitch ahead of the championship had they gone in May, whereas in September, that's not quite the same concern. And there was the Champions Cup final as well and the issue with security and policing and all that goes with it as well because there was a clash on that night. Is Conor McGregor still involved in this, in what's going to happen next for Katie, whether it's uh, a big venue or, or not? I'd say he probably will. I'd say he possibly is. Like, I don't think you're going to have two... Like, it's boxing and boxing doesn't always attract like that many sponsors with a lot of millions in the bank that are willing to just, you know, spend money to have their name maybe put across the ring or whatever. So if, if Taylor herself doesn't object to it, I don't see why Eddie Hearn would object to it. The name of Conor McGregor's whiskey or stout brand being imprinted on onto the ring. He's done it before. He he sponsored, I think, the second or the third Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder fight. It said hit the name of his whiskey brand across the uh, across the ring. So if someone's willing to put up a lot of money to help an event take place or to to sponsor an event. I think it's just I think if if it, it kind of makes it slightly intriguing if he is involved because I'm not the biggest fan of McGregor or Jake Paul on the other side the uh, the Amanda Serrano side but think about the worldwide attention that would be on an event at Crow Park Conor McGregor almost Conor de facto McGregor in fighting the Jake Taylor Paul in the undercard Jake Paul on the other side yeah exactly like so it's just going to be enormous we saw the the attention Jake Paul's fight yeah. at the weekend got so and every, everything McGregor does seems to attract the same sort of fanfare. So 
Yeah, there's no there's no avoiding the hysteria, um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not so sure. Um, Kev, thank you so much. Uh, just in terms of um, a timeline, so we, we're not sure yet about what's going to happen on the 20th of May, if that's still going to be a viable date for her to fight somebody. It's not going to be Serrano. Um, if there is a new opponent to be announced, like when would it, when should we expect that or when should we expect clarity? Oh, that's a good question. I I don't know to be honest with you. I don't think anyone knows really. Like Hearn is putting, he's keeping these cards close to his chest. I suppose it's the next time he's out in front of, he's at a press conference to publicise one of his fights in in England or America. They put the cameras yeah. in front of his face and he'll slowly reveal a bit more about Serrano, Serrano's injury. And you know that's kind of the way these things play out. Like we, it hasn't even been announced today what the the extent of the injury is mm-hmm. that Serrano suffered. She had a difficult fight at the beginning of February. You know, became Puerto Rico's first undisputed champion in the the so-called four belt era. So that's only a couple of weeks ago. I suspected at the time she's it was it was a tough fight. Heard today that it could be either a neck or a hand injury. She hasn't been training. So now, um, if they're trying to renegotiate, they they could come up with a different date at a different venue in a month's time. But I think it'll yeah it'll all come in out in the wash when kind of Hearn starts speaking because it's not as if. Katie Taylor is going to be coming out, putting out yeah. statements on her social media or something. It's just not the way she plays the game. She lets her team do her communications on her behalf. So, yeah, I guess we're, like we'll all have to kind of almost wait until Hearn wants to start revealing piece by piece, you know, what's, what, going, to what, what's going to really happen. Finally, then she's training away though. Like she's pretty much in constant camp anyway, isn't she? As far as I know, yes. Like as far as I know, she's she's been training for a May twentieth date now that the fighter herself, Taylor probably would have been informed a couple of days ago or whatever there's a problem with Amanda Serrano you can kind of you can take back your intensive training and I'm sure her and her trainer would have known exactly what was going on um, you know so she can taper back because they always have schedules one week is more difficult than the other and then the next week could be a, a rest week because May 20 it still gives both fighters plenty of time to be prepared but in Serrano's case not enough yeah. obviously her injury must be either serious enough or you know she just doesn't like the, the way things were shaping up go to the three arena I wanted to fight at Crow Park uh, that's not what I signed up for so we'll see we'll see how it plays out now in the, in the coming few weeks it's a pity because it would have been a it would have been an engrossing fight uh, but maybe maybe worthy of a bigger stage yeah well whatever happens there's lots of talk about it anyway so um, plenty of publicity and that's only a good thing uh, Kev thank you as always for joining us we're going to take a very quick break but do stay with us we've Mark Langdon of the Racing Post to come talking all of today's football news a bad news story for French football but Noel Lagare as well the French Football Federation president also resigned under suspicious circumstances Yes, yeah, so, um, he's resigned um, this week and it follows a, yeah, a, a report into um, the organisation um, that he's sort of overseeing, um, you know, accusations of sexual harassment and uh, bullying um, as well. And, you know, he was sort of told to um, that he had to resign, um, essentially. Um, this has been going on for, for quite some time in sort of other sort of news around him as well. Um uh, he, uh, you know, the French Football Association um, have been accused, um, and, and so it's nothing to do with him personally, but of course he's been in charge, um, of being accused of um, sort of a cover-up in terms of historical um, sexual abuse um, cases. So that is, um, investigation is still ongoing. Um, we've got an incident now where um, several of the female players from the um, French football um, sort of women's team of um, are refusing to play for the national team. Um, maybe they'll come back if, if the coach 
um, is it, sacked and we, we should find out um, or, or resigns. We should find out that pretty soon. Of course, there's a World Cup um, coming up. But um, yeah, I mean, um, this is, um, you know, I, I think goes to show that, that, that there's deep um, problems in, in sort of the, the running of French football and um, Le Gray as well. I mean, he upset all virtually all of French football supporters by making some derogatory comments about World Cup winner Zinedine Zidane. Um, just, I, I think, seen basically as a dinosaur, um, you know, a man in his 80s that, um, you know, should no longer have a position like this. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, it sounds like he's about to start working for FIFA, um, which may be... Um, tells you all you need to know um, uh, uh, about FIFA um, as as well. And if you go back to the World Cup, I mean, um, I'm not sure enough teams did enough in terms of um, sort of raising the human rights um, sort of awareness. Um, but we did see at least some sort of um, actions from the German national team. England did something small and you know, that were involved in that row over the um, armband and whether they should wear the rainbow armband. The French national team wanted absolutely nothing to do with any of that. And um, I, I think that um, the sort of French Football Federation didn't cover themselves in glory there. And you know, the, the problems run very deep. It, the, the, all the bad news stories today are overshadowing the, the FIFA awards which were also announced and um, it's Alexia Putellis won the best women's and the best men's uh, Lionel Messi uh, any, any fallout from these? Not, not really only in, in as much as um, some, some really sort of sad stuff really that David Alaba has been receiving um, racial abuse from what appear to be some Real Madrid fans. So it's always difficult to tell are, are they bots or um, you know uh, because he didn't vote uh, for Karim Benzema. Um, and um, but in, in terms of the actual um, sort of award, I think it was more just a case of um, be, I mean World Cup obviously played very heavily in the men's game. Scaloni, the Argentina coach, won the best coach. Um, Martinez, the goalkeeper, won. Um, the, the the best goalkeeper, um, but the the team of the year was probably the most attack-minded team. I think anyone. I mean, Casemiro's made a a brilliant start to his life at Manchester United, but in in a mid in sort of an attack that includes Messi and Bafi, um, Benzema and Haaland, he's going to have to do a lot of defending in in that sort of mythical um, men's world eleven team. Oh, it is a mythical World Eleven, isn't it? But anyway, they're probably mythical yeah. awards when all is said and done. I'm sure those that won them are delighted, but are much prouder of their medals. Mark, we were discussing last night with Stephen Kelly and the lads when we were talking about, and Paul Curry talking about Chelsea and the Chelsea fans going, I suppose, we're not very happy with uh, Thiago Silva being taken off the pitch, but I guess we know why Graham Potter took him off now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, knee injury that could rule him out for, I mean, at least a month, maybe even longer. Um, and now, now Chelsea have got enough uh, depth uh, to, to cover, uh, of course, uh, Thiago Silva. Fafana came on to replace him um, in North London on Sunday. Um, uh, Badashil is not eligible to play in the Champions League, but he's another one that could come into the Premier League. But for all the money that Chelsea have spent, the team always looks more secure when Thiago Silva is in it. Um, you know, such a leader. And for a, a new team that's still been put together, and you know, I think they're suffering a crisis in confidence uh, at the moment as much as anything else, to not have Thiago Silva to fall back on, 
I think is actually um, you know a, a real big problem. Um, not the first and not the last for Graham Potter, but it, it definitely um, is not ideal because uh, it, it, there's not much you can rely on with Chelsea at the moment. But I think Thiago Silva was just about the most reliable thing that they've got. Um, you know, won absolutely everything in in the club game. Uh, he's, he's getting on, but he's still able to marshal the defence and sort of positionally knows exactly where he needs to be at all times and sort of leads the, the, the others around him. So. Six weeks at this time of the season is absolutely, you know, it's, it's, it's missing a lot of important games, including this match against Borussia Dortmund that they've got coming up in a couple of weeks. That is basically, um, you know, going to to make or break, um, you know, Chelsea's um, season really because they need to win the Champions League to get back into the Champions League. And um, at the moment, they look a long way from from being able to do that. They will certainly do. But speaking of money, Pep Guardiola had a nice little dig at Manchester United and. I think he was quite right. They've only spent the six hundred and sixty million in the last five years. United have spent six hundred and eighty-five. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I think it probably shows that Manchester United are getting closer to Manchester City. If um, you know, if it's starting to annoy Pep Guardiola, he, he tends not to get annoyed by those that can't harm him. The amount of times he's always praising managers that he's best just beaten three 0 and four 0 um, you know, um, so I, I think United should take that. As, as a way of them being recognised by Pep Guardiola. Yeah, United have spent a lot of money, but it's not just the, how much money they've spent. Um, you know, the wage bill, that there's a direct correlation between um, wage bill expenditure and success in football. And so Manchester United have got one of the highest wage bills in world football. So the fact that they weren't winning for the last five or six years is probably more of a shock than the fact that they've now managed to, um, you know, re- record a League Cup success. But I think from where they were, um, and, and this is maybe where Pep Guardiola, I, I think, is wrong, from where they were under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, Ralph Rangnick and e- even before him, I, I think Ten Hag has done uh, remarkably well to, to build a team spirit because you can have all the money that you want. It doesn't mean you can build a team spirit. Just look at Paris Saint-Germain. They, they still haven't got one and they spend full every single summer so I think that has probably been the, the biz, biggest success so far for Ten Hag the way he's knitted that team together and I mentioned him earlier but Casemiro has been absolutely fundamental to that OK Mark Langdon as always thank you so much for bringing us up to speed we're going to take a very quick break but do stay with us we'll be talking racing with Paul Nichols very shortly thank you. Game on on 2FM Welcome back to Game On on this Tuesday evening. So this time in 14 days, we shall know who has won the first seven races at the 2023 Cheltenham Festival. And joining us on the line to look ahead to it all is champion trainer in the UK, Paul Nichols. Paul, how are you? I'm good, Ruby. You okay? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Paul, you're having a, an incredible season. I was looking at stats earlier. 127 winners, a 28% strike rate, £2.5 million in prize money. Your season has been going great thus far. Yeah, no, really good. Yeah, lots of nice horses to run through this spring. Very happy with how it's gone. Let's hope we can continue in two weeks' time. With a bit of luck, you can. I was look reading about or reading about your stable tour yesterday morning, and yeah. I was greatly yeah. taken by your comments on Brave Man's game and how you associated yeah. them to Cardo Star. Well, it's like everything. You always get a little bit misquoted. I, I was asked, was it probably my best chance since Corto? And I said, yeah, it probably is. Um, yeah, he's won a King George. He's in good shape. I, I think it probably is. I wasn't comparing him with Corto in any way. There was only one of him, as you well know. But it's been nice to think it's, a, it's, it's probably our, our best chance since then, you know. 
It most certainly is. Pop, some people worry about him handling the track. I tended to agree with you. He's only had one run there and he finished right. third. Undulating track, yeah. three and a quarter miles. Any fears? I don't. No, well, he's one run Exeter, he's run around Chepstow. Um, no, none at all. He ran very well in the Ballymore. He was just, he wasn't good enough on the day at the time. He was only six years old. Don't see a problem. It's just happened. He's gone round, you know, Kempton because, you know, last Christmas Eve, because that's what those races are. But no, no worries with me. Great thing with him, he's not slow. He's got plenty of boot, which you know is good around there. You can travel away and jump. You don't want to be behind the bridle if you can help it, really. And that's going to only help him. You've changed tack with him this year slightly. You went to Newbury with him last year to win a novice handicap. You're going straight from Christmas to Cheltenham with him. It's a patch you've you've trod before. You think it's the right thing to do with him? Yeah, he's definitely he's great fresh. You know, his first run this year in the Charlie Hall, which he won when he was only really half wind up, was good, and then we kept him fresh <clears throat> and very fit for the Kempton and to get his best that day. If we can have him that sort of form, it's idea. It just suits him, you know. He's a better horse, stronger horse for whatever reason this year. Um I suppose in maturity, he's eight years old now and he's just reaching his full peak, you know, with strength and everything. And yeah, I think it's probably the best thing to do with him. He don't want to run too often. Paul, you have a much stronger team for Cheltenham this year than you had last year. Possibility of 19 or 20 runners and you have some decent novices. And I think Tamora is a huge price in the first. How's he progressing? Very good. He looks fantastic. He's done very well as well, as you well know. Um, he, you probably know, he's not unlike Alfroff and Nolan, isn't it? He, he probably wants two and a half miles and he's going to make a chaser. But those horses that stay on strong at the back end of a race can always be effective in this race. I'm, you know, I'm hoping to think he might run like they did. Well, a bit of lucky cut for you. Novice hurdlers are key to what future talent mm. you have in the yard. You yeah. look to have another star in Hermes Allen, who's won the Chalo. Chalo's not a great track record, but your stats are there to be broken. Do you think this fella can do that? Yeah, I'm hopeful. You know, he's got good form. He did win at Cheltenham earlier in the season. He seems progressive. Um, it's a very hot race. I was looking through it just now. You know, all, all any number of improving young horses with lots of potential. So you need it all to go right. But he's done nothing wrong, and that challenge is working out to be a really good race. Yeah, the form is rock solid. I think he might be after catching you by surprise, though, because I don't remember going to Stratford to ride too many horses of this yeah, fella's ability no. for you. No, it's, I mean, listen, Ruby, this time last year, he showed absolutely nothing, and the boys had paid a load of money for him, and I was thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be embarrassing, so I didn't run him. Just the summer, he, he changed, but even before Stratford, he showed nothing at home. John happened to be going there and said, look, could, could you have a runner for us on the Saturday? And I said, well, yeah, I'll chuck him. I heard him exactly, and thinking, well, at least we'll know something about him. And he went there, and he won 28 lengths, and... I mean, you know, some of those horses, I can remember old Neptune Colonge and even Silvanaka Conti show absolutely nothing at home and they're much better horses on the track and um, he's one of them. He said the boys are giving plenty of money for him. Surely mm. Sir Alex Ferguson being one of those can't give out about overspending on horses considering how many ordinary players he <laughs> overspent on. Exactly, you can tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we will, I don't think we will. Yeah, no. But, um, Paul, you yeah, have a few... enjoying it. Paul, you have a few more with chances. Obviously, Grenatine. Yeah. Could even each way shout in the champion chase? Definitely. Um, it didn't happen the other day. It, it, Newbury probably shouldn't have run in the ground, got a bit quick, and he wasn't really ready. He actually went off today. I thought he 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 needed that run more than I thought. He had a good gallop away today with Time White. He could run into a place. I'm not saying he's going to win the champion chase, but it is best. He ran in, you know, he ran fourth two years ago. He's only beat two lengths, haven't run the same in Newbury. Definitely an outside chance of being in the frame. The other one that could be flying under the radar is Hitman and the Ryanair. I mean, you fancy them to run well in the King George. It didn't happen for him. Has he progressed from, from Newbury too? 
Yeah, it, it just hasn't. Yeah, he ran well at Newbury and on, on in a fast time. Probably didn't quite get the three miles. I think this trip is. You know, he'll run a solid race. He jumps well. Siskins can be awfully hard to beat, but you never know. But he he, you know, he could run a tidy race. Any decision in which way you're going to go with stage star Brown and Brown advisory or Turner's? <sighs> I was looking at that earlier on. A lot depend on the weather a little bit. If you know, if it's completely dry and the ground was very much on the good side, that probably might look at going a little bit further. Um, the Turner's probably suits him. We won on that track, and as you know, it's a stiffer track, but would want a bit of ease in the ground. So that's one of those decisions I'm going to have to make late. I'm not like Willie, who's probably got 50 or 60 decisions to make late. I've got one or two, so it makes life a bit easier. Right, those which are late calls can often be good calls. Yeah. Paul, you've plenty yeah. in the handicaps too. I know Max yeah. McNeil sponsors the Ultima. How is three under through five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's okay. He won four races last year. He was quite well placed. Won a small run in Novice Chase at Cheltenham. Got a chance. I think he's 150 is a bit harsh on him, really. He got dropped one pound for getting beat 27 minutes the last day. Um, if he was 145, I'd be giving him a bit of a chance. So he's exposed, but, he, he you know, he's fitting well. We can only do our best. That can be frustrating when you get beaten that far and you only come down a single pound. Uh, Handicapper, I know I'd hate to be a handicapper, but it is frustrating when you don't come down as much as you think you possibly could. That happens all the time in 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 the UK. You know, you you run to your best level and you get. You know, I asked for a little bit of help after Warwick. He, as I said, he he carried twelve stone. He got well beat. He's far too high. Can you give him a bit of a chance? You get dropped a pound. Well, just why not bother dropping him? Is drop a pound? Just give the horses a chance. Give them four or five pounds. Um, but it doesn't happen. No, look, that's horse racing, isn't it? And Paul, yeah, exactly. one last novice, I thought, probably maybe the track didn't suit him, but stay away, Faye. Are you going to run him in yeah. the Albert Bartlett? You ran in Doncaster yeah. last time? Yeah, I don't think it was uh, Lorcan's finest hour. He'll admit that. It just didn't happen that day, and he got into a bit of a scrap up the straight, never got any daylight, never jumped the last three, but still stayed on and finished second. He's better than that. I think he's improving. He's 25-1, to 1, um, and I think the horse he beat in his point-to-point... Uh, in Ireland one last week and is one of the favourites so he, he, he's a lively outside of that horse he's, he's definitely improving I most certainly think he is too he's an each way shout Paul we're only two weeks out now you looking forward to it? Yeah you see you well know a lot of pressure um, but you know he, I think we're probably in there 15 or 16 runners there will save some for entry just run the horses who have got chances this year as you said earlier we got some lovely chances I'm really looking forward to the Gold Cup um, and yeah it, it's, it's exciting times it most certainly are look you're a busy man thank you so much for taking our call we'll let you get back to deciding where you're going to run stage star because I have a feeling you will ponder over that many a night in the next two weeks <laughs> you're right thank you Ruby cheers Paul cheers Ruby before we finish up on the racing um, I know yesterday Jack Kennedy was spoken about um, in the media um, about whether or not he would be back do you think he's going to be back? I most certainly hope he can be, Marie. Um, I mean, it's he broke his leg in early January. I'm only speaking from my own experience of breaking legs. It tends, it always took me 12 weeks. Um, and it's his tibia, which is the main weight-bearing bone in your leg. It's your shin bone between your knee and your ankle. Or fibia, the back of it, if you broke that, you most certainly could get back quite quickly because it doesn't bear any weight. Whereas your tibia being your shin bone, it bears all the weight of your body. And you can try and put all your body weight on one leg, but it just doesn't balance out. You can't get away with it. And then when a horse gallops, whatever way the vibration rises from the ground back through you, it seems to sh- always shoot up through your shin bone. And if there's any gap in that bone, Marie, um, you just won't be able to... And look, I, I 
did it and tried it and be in the gym and be thinking I'm making great progress and will be able to run and then as soon as you ride it's just a vibration of a horse hitting the ground and Jack will know as soon as he rides a horse and riding is like riding a bike he he won't have forgotten how to ride in two months it'll be still so natural to him um, I doubt he's sat in a horse yet but that's when he'll know and he'll know as soon as he takes the first ride in the canter whether he can stick the pain or not and if there's still a gap in that bone he won't take it yeah, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? And um, I guess it's risk as well, Ruby. Like, I mean, if you if you're, well, you're, you're yeah, he'll roll the dice. It's it's Cheltenham. It's the biggest biggest time of the year. I did it. Um, the second last year I was riding, my leg was just about um, healed. And yeah, I went, I rode a winner on the first day, uh, got a fall, rode a two winners on the first day, um, got a fall in the last race, everything was fine. And then I got a fall from Alboom Ford, a relatively simple fall in the second race and the second day. But I was minding myself and I didn't get off his back soon enough. And I went all the way to the ground with him. And when I went to the ground with him, I had no impulsion to get off him. And when I couldn't get off him, I got my leg caught under him and I broke it again. Um, it shouldn't have, only it was weak and it did break it but I was willing to take the chance and I have a funny feeling if Jack can hack the pain of canter next Friday morning he'll take the chance too Oh Ruby it just sounds so crazy to someone that isn't obviously involved in what you've been involved in um, are you ever the same? Yeah do I look different to you? <laughs> Sitting here in a seat. Um, are you ever the same? What do you mean, ever the same? Just like your instinct. Is it? Does it? Can you get back to what you were like before you go through something like that? I think that's. Oh, I think that's the best judge of a jockey, Marie. And um, I think of all sports people. Sorry, I'm not just going to categorise that as jockeys. I think when you look at any young person coming into sport and how good they are. And before, as they start winning things and they're confident and everything is so easy to them, to me, you always judge somebody when they come back from an injury and how their hunger is, how their commitment is. Um, because in sport, no matter what sport you're in, you're going to get injured. And if that injury puts any bit of fear in your mind, you won't get back to where you were. Mm. Be it that as a cruciate, a hamstring, whatever it is. And if you're not going to push your body, you're not going to get back to where you were. And I think then you can judge more, speed, more sports people as to how good they are. Yeah, because I always think when people get back running for the first time after a cruciate, it must be so frightening. And even, you know, a lot of it is if you take a sharp turn, like, you know, to kind of go back to that quick movement again, the fear must be must be almost embedded in there. Like It is, but the, your mind has an incredible capacity to forget physical pain. It has, and you will the physical pain of of breaking your leg or doing your cruciate or whatever you've done. That's what I mean. I think women all over the world are the greatest example of what I was going to say because <laughs> why would any woman have a second child? <laughs> so true. Um, look, we wish him wish him the best. Um, and what if he, what if he doesn't get back? If he doesn't go back, the rides will be split between uh, Davy Russell and Jordan Gainford. Or Davy Russell, I suppose, predominantly. Um, and Jordan Gainford will come in for a couple. Jerry Colomb is a horse that car. Jordan Gainford has won a couple of big races on, so he will ride him. But look, if Jack doesn't make Cheltenham, Marie, he will be back for entry. It's four weeks after Cheltenham, and that'll leave him spot on for, for, for entry and Punchestown. But look, he's such a talented young man who has had unbelievable injuries. And to watch him come back time and time again is a testament to what mental strength is and to how you can cope with mm -hmm. lots of things that are thrown at you. 
Okay, well, we'll be watching that space. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be previewing Chatham a lot, though, over the next few weeks. You must be really looking forward to it, Ruby. I am looking forward to it. It's a great sporting occasion. Look, and look, everybody looks forward to it for different reasons. Um, I look forward to it for the best horses taking each other on. And look, you have people giving out that should there be a mayor's hurdle. To me, the champion hurdle is all about statement and Constitution Hill. The mayors are not going to add to it. So to have them in their own race after it, Honeysuckle, Epitant, uh, Brandy, Love, Envoy, um, Love, Envoy, and and Echoes in Rain, I just think there's, there's cracking races from the start to finish. And I, I must say, I really look forward to it. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. I'm delighted to say that Cahill Denny, athletics journalist, joins us now as we talk about a very uh, bright time for Irish athletics um, for the sport itself and for what's to come in the future. Cahill, how are you? Very good, Marie. How are you? You are all the way in Istanbul for the Euros, European Athletics Championships. <laughs> I am touched down here last night. Very Irish weather, wet, windy, oh, no. cold. Um, it'll suit them and it's a good thing it's indoors. Oh, uh, it gets say, underway yeah. on Thursday with with a few heats, but the main action starts Friday to Sunday and uh, should be, I'd say, a few Irish sniffing the medals, at least one anyway in Mark English. With a bit of luck, they will, Carl. What's the time difference for Istanbul? Is it sort of ooh, 11 o'clock at night nearly? Uh, yeah, it's almost that now. It's what's at nine forty or so. Yeah, so it's three hours ahead of Ireland. So the main action Friday, Saturday, Sunday will be going down about four p.m. till about seven p.m. Irish time. They'll, that'll be the kind of times to tune into RT two. Not so bad. That will be interesting. As you said, Mark English is one of the, the I suppose, the leading Irish athletes that's going there. Israel Olatunde is there as well. Andrew Corscoran. There's a big, strong Irish team gone. There is. There's 12 individual athletes plus the women's 4x400 metre relay. Um, I suppose Mark English is definitely the standout chance. Now, he goes in ranked ninth in the men's 800 metres, but that's kind of irrelevant, really, because there's a there's a blanket of about 20 athletes. But among them, there's no one better than Mark English when it comes to championship, this kind of championship. I mean, he's won two European indoor medals. He's won two European outdoor medals. His record is outstanding at getting the job done at this level. Um, he took a good win in Madrid there last week. Just the, the right kind of sharpener to come into a, a race like this. And we know he when he's in form, no one is better tactically. Now, because there's so many athletes clustered together, I'll be honest, like Mark English could win gold this weekend or he could also get knocked out in the semi-final this weekend. That's how, I suppose, how random indoor 800 metre running is. And yeah, he'll he'll need to have be tactically switched on from the gun and probably engaging his elbows as you often have to do in the indoors. Yeah, uh, but being ranked ninth, does that affect your lane draw, or does it have any effect on where you might be positioned on the track? Um, it would be a big thing at four hundred meters, um, but not at eight hundred meters. Uh, it's just kind of it's irrelevant, really. They break from lanes after the first bend, um, so yeah, it won't make a blind bit of difference to Mark English. And he'll know. He'll look at that list, and he'll look at the eight guys ahead of him, and probably the eight guys behind him, and know that the guys behind him could just as easily beat him, and he could just as e- easily beat any of those guys ahead of him. He was obviously coming off that European outdoor bronze in Munich last year, but the two guys who beat him there, Jake Whiteman and Mariano, Mariano Garcia, are not here. And that's going to be a big help to Mark English because Garcia is the world indoor champion, a really accomplished indoor runner. And we know all about Jake Whiteman, the world outdoor 1500 metre champion, kind of missing out through one through lack of form, one through in- injury this indoor season. And that's why, you know, there, there is strong guys in there. The likes of Saul Ordinez from Spain looked very impressive last week. But 
I honestly think like this is anyone's, there's any one of about 10 to 12 athletes could win this race and could take the medals in this race and Mark English is certainly one of them. Phelan Kelly is coaching him. How has he developed under Phelan? Very well. I mean, he's, I think for a while there, Mark English was having a lot of up and down years with injury. He was being coached remotely by Steve Magnus, a good coach as well. But I think when you're, when your coach is over in Texas and you're based in Ireland and you're working in a hospital, it's always going to be hard when you're not getting that kind of immediate feedback and having the eyes on you. And Salem was actually involved heavily with Mark back in 2014 when he had his kind of first breakthrough year at senior level. And he kind of had a mentorship role back then. But I think more than anything, I mean, Phelan, as we know, he's producing amazing results. He's coached the, he now coaches the 800 metre and 1500 metre indoor and outdoor national records for Ireland, which is an astonishing record for a coach. But I think with Mark, more so than probably the training or what's been put on paper, I think it's that he really understands Mark and they get on like friends and they kind of have that awareness that, you know, probably when to push him and when to back off and, knows the way Mark English operates, knows his mind. And I think that's been the biggest thing that he's kind of, since he joined up with him a year and a half or so ago, he's kind of just lit a fire on him and he's he's looked better than ever, ever since. And Phelan has coaches Andrew Coscarin as well, who broke that 41-year-old Irish 1,500-metre record at the weekend. So, um, like, to be getting the best out of these guys is pretty impressive. It certainly is, yeah, and it's it's been produced again and again, and that was that was a record I know that was on Phelan's mind and Andrew Coskin's mind for a long time. I know they were they were looking at it, and everyone obviously looks up to those great Irish athletes, the Ray Flynn's, the Eamon Cocktons. But you know, in the era of better tracks, more information about training and super spikes, and this kind of golden generation, I think a lot of them were like, "Come on, one of us has to break Ray Flynn's record, one of us has to go and break Eamon Cocktons' mile record," which I'm sure will be one of the next targets for many of them. Break A.M. McCoughlin's mile record. Where do you even run mile races anymore? There are a few in the summer, but uh, they're getting less and less common. Indoors, yeah, they're starting to fade out. And I mean, it was the anniversary of that 40-year anniversary of that 349 mile that Eamon Cockton ran back in 1983 there. I think it was yesterday. And even, I mean, anyone today, if you're running a 349 indoor mile, you'd be up there and beating probably the best in the world. It's just a, a tribute to how great an athlete he was. So Andrew did break that record last weekend in the 1500 metres. What about his chances next weekend? Yeah, I think he's got a, a reasonable chance. I don't think it's as strong as Mark English. And the main reason for that is the presence of Jakob Ingebrigtsen, you know, an all-time great in the 1500. And he's in the 3K as well. Andrew goes in ranked 14th in the 1500. But again, don't think times are too relevant here because Jakob Ingebrigtsen, barring an accident, will win gold. But after that, again, you have... You know, there's there's a good guy from Germany, Amos Bartelsmeyer might win silver, and the British guy Neil Gourley. They would look the three strongest on paper, and I think one of them will have to probably mess up tactically. But we've seen so often people mess up tactically all the time, and people get it right tactically all the time. And Andrew is a very smart, very savvy championship racer, so I would fully expect him to be kind of top six, top eight. And once you're in that, it'll probably be a case of you'll be able to throw a blanket over about six or seven guys. And Luke McKenna is in there as well, coming off at 334, 1500. So two of them really should be looking at kind of top six, top eight in that final if they get it right. As you mentioned, Jakob Ing- Ingebrigtsen is taking part this weekend, but there's also seven Olympic champions, which is a fair draw for a European indoors, isn't it? It really is. And I think it's a great time to kind of capitalize off the, the attention that athletics got in Munich last year. I mean, you had 60,000 people, 50 plus thousand people packing into that stadium every night for European championships. It was a great week, I suppose, 
in the spotlight for the sport. And to be honest, it was a much bigger success than the World Championships were in Oregon, which are obviously at a higher standard. And now that off the back of that, you have the vast majority of Europe's best are here in Istanbul for this championships. Um, and like, yeah, you have the likes of Karsten Warholm, you know, is here. Femke Ball is here, who just set a world record for the 400. Jakob Ingebrigtsen will be going for the double. Laura Muir will be going for the 1500. And then you have the Olympic 100 meter champion, Marcel Jacobs, is certainly below form as well. But he's here for the 60 meters and we know he can show up when it matters. And I suppose on that point, another man who shows up when it matters is Israel Olatunde, who's coming in off a 6.57 national record over 60 metres last week. And he, that puts him ranked eighth. But just looking at the, the rankings, the second fastest in this is, is at 6.54. So again, it'll be a case where you can probably throw a blanket over about seven or eight guys in that final, maybe apart from the first or second guys. So I think Israel, for the first time in his career, is going to a championship thinking, if I nail this, maybe I can get in the podium. How much potential does Israel have? I mean, it's huge. You know, I suppose there was no one, I think no one really expected him to make that breakthrough as well as he did, but I suppose he expected it and his coach, Daniel Kigalin, certainly expected it in Munich last year. But to, to get that sixth in the European final at the age he was, just 20, was so, so impressive. And to be rubbing shoulders with the Olympic champion. And I suppose early in this indoor season it didn't look like he was kind of kicking on you know he was running in the kind of mid to high 660s and wasn't wasn't breaking his personal best and I suppose at, at his age you kind of almost want to break your personal best every year and you're kind of asking questions if you're not but then he popped that 657 a huge national record to win the Irish title um, just a week or two ago and it was so so impressive if he can repeat that here I think he'll certainly make a final and if he could shave off maybe a couple hundreds you know you're talking inches here is all he used to shave off if he could get down to about 654 655 that's the kind of thing that would get you on a podium at this level now we know that uh, Sheeta Adelecki is not going to be there um, she has been phenomenal um, since she's burst down the scene really what about our other female athletes though uh, or, yeah, there are plenty of others. Um, I mean, you've Charlene Maudsley, who's coming in hugely under the radar, but she ran a 51-91 400 metres there recently in Abbottstown, and she is ranked fifth in the women's 400. Now, Femme Kibal will win gold at ease. She could probably win gold blindfolded here. That's how good she is. She's coming off that world record uh, at just recent weeks at the Dutch Championships. But Charlene again, if she gets it right, can get into that final. There'll be six women in the final and we've seen the carnage that can unfold in an indoor 400 metres. So this is a huge, huge opportunity for Charlene Maudsley to make an impact on this stage. And I suppose you obviously have Sarah Lavin there as well. She's ranked seventh in the 60 metre hurdles. She ran a PB of 7.95 there last week. I think she can certainly get into the final again. I mean, she did it last year at world indoor level in Belgrade. She can certainly get into a, another European final here in Istanbul. 7.95 is her PB, but given this is a really, really strong field, and I think it's going to take about 7.85 or lower to get on the podium. But again, she's going the right direction. And if, if, if she can get it right in that final and get under 7.90, she'll certainly be sniffing a medal. But it could be a big ask. The women's 4 by 400 metre relay team um, are into a 26 qualifying nation. So it's a straight final. And you know, if anything can happen in a 400 metre race, run it four times in the one in the one event. Anything really can happen. Yeah, there's always indoor four by 400s. You know, you have tired athletes, you've confused athletes. There's breaking from lanes, and there's people lining up, basically on top 
of each other and help one each other, there's always carnage. And, you know, Ireland, I think it was 20 years ago now, got a world indoor four by 400 metre medal, which on paper they'd have no right to have earned. Um, but they did it, you know, and there was a little bit of carnage in that race as well. And again, this isn't Ireland's strongest team. I mean, Phil Healy is gone, but Phil Healy has spoken very openly that, you know, she's not in her best form. But fair play to her. You such credit to Phil Healy for getting on the line at nationals, making herself available for the squad and going to Istanbul, even knowing she's not in the best form and still being hopefully being a contributing member of that team. But yeah, you've Kleena Manning in there, you've Charlene Mosley in there and you've Sophie Becker in there who's also running the individual 400. These are the athletes, I suppose, who will be backing up Rashida Adelecki. Um, and, you know, I think the presence and the emergence of Rashida in recent years has meant that any female 400-meter runner, and now that there's a mixed 4 by 400 in the Olympics as well, any male 400-meter runner can almost ride the coattails of her talent into huge achievements, maybe in relays at the Olympic Games. And that's going to be the case for these athletes. And these this squad here will be the squad that will be backing up Rashida at the Olympics next year, hopefully in a relay. But, I mean, putting aside the future, this is a great chance because, like I said, like you said, only six teams in the final, they're automatically in there. And Rashida actually, funnily enough, helped them qualify because it was based off the, the best times of athletes from each nation. They wouldn't be favourites to get a medal on paper. You know, you have the Poles in there. The Dutch should win it, you'd imagine. And then you have the Brits as well. But, like you said, anything can happen in a relay and there is great depth and consistency among them. Rashida tweeted that she's only been training for the 400 metre for a couple of months and she was able to to break that record. Um, what do you think she should focus on or, or can she just keep doing everything? Yeah, I think I think the the coach, I suppose, much like Usain Bolt was brought to the 200 early in his career by his coach. I think, you know, Rashida has recognised where the talent, or, or Rashida's coach, Adric Floria, has recognised where her greatest talent and her former coach, Daniel Kigallin, kind of knew that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have to do a lot of work, conditioning work. It takes years to really become a world-class 400-meter runner, and Rashida is probably only a year or two into that process right now. Um, but she, I mean, the future, we've said this so often, but it, it really now is, like, more than any other time we've said it, it really, the sky is now the limit for Rashida. 50.33 there for that national record, that NCAA record. Um, it was broken 90 minutes later elsewhere by a, an athlete she'll be going head-to-head with for the NCAA title. That'll be a cracking race. But just to put that 50-33 into context, that would have finished fourth at the Outdoor World Championships last year. So Rashida indoors and the tight turns of indoor running, she's a very tall athlete, are not suited to her. She'll be running, assuming she stays healthy, significantly quicker than 50-33. So I suppose as I was writing in an article there the other day, I was like, Rashida is now with that performance entering the territory where we can start calling her an Olympic medal contender. And if there's one thing we do awfully in Ireland, it's overhyping young athletes too early. But honestly, with Rashida, it's not a case of hype. It's just speaking the truth because she's now getting into that territory where she's not going to be afraid of too many athletes in the world, not just at underage or NCAA level. Okay, that uh, sounds so exciting and we know how exciting she is. Carl, uh, thank you so much. We'll probably check in with you later in the week when uh, this all gets going. Um, enjoy it and we'll talk to you soon.